morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. I have to do that so I can see my notes. Well, it is uh, March break, and uh, I can see that some of you are here. Thank you for coming. <laughs> and uh, I know that, uh, that many are away and visiting, but we're glad that you're here. And uh, we're starting a brand new series today. Pastor Rick and Amanda, are uh, they're visiting uh, sunny climbs south of here, and uh, we'll be back in a week or so. But uh, today we're starting a brand new series called The Clash of the Titans. And of course, we show you that uh, clip just to kind of set the tone uh, for, for what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks leading up to Easter Sunday. And uh, this, is, uh, this is going to be an interesting series. It's going to be uh, a fun series. But uh, I'm just uh, excited about being able to sort of walk you into it this morning. Take out your Bibles if you have them and uh, your sermon notes today or you're watching or, or following the sermon notes on, our, on your smart device, you can look at our Portico app or download that if you don't have it already. Clash of the Titans. And so we show you that, uh, that clip, the Marvel comic genre is very popular right now. How many of you uh, seen, go see the Marvel movies? You like the Avengers and Captain America? Yeah, they're fun, right? And we watch those. We like to watch those because of this this, this epic struggle between good and evil. And even in the clip there, you saw the villain sort of watching from above. It's amazing how the villain ends up even turning the good, the good people against each other, right? There's this, there's this epic struggle between good and evil. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the most epic battle of the entire universe and the history of the world. And that is the epic battle between ultimate good and ultimate evil, not just the skirmishes that happen all of the time on our news channels and in our media, but, but the battle between the big guns, the ultimate representations of good and evil. And so to get us started today in this conversation, we're going to go to a text in the book of Ephesians. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We're going to look at the book of Ephesians where Paul gives us some insight, just a little insight into this battle, one that is much broader and far-reaching than most times I think we, we really like to think about. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, and here's what Paul says there. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Kind of ominous sounding, isn't it? And Paul explains here that we need God's armor so that we can stand against the devil and his schemes. Some of you will remember that we did a series on the book of Ephesians uh, back a year and a half or so ago. And, and we talked a lot about you know, how God has invited us into this new community, this new family, his family of God. And we talked about God's love and his grace and his transforming power in our lives. We talked about you know, unity together with the family. But also in Ephesians, Paul introduces this idea of, of evil. He talks to us about this this you know, challenge us, us to live as children of light, setting up this idea that there is, there is a struggle between two kingdoms, one of darkness and one of light, one of, one of evil and one of, of good. And so we, we, as followers of Jesus, understand that our personal, individual battle 
with, you know, with the schemes of the devil, with evil and temptation. That is just a, a microcosm. It's a, a smaller version of the epic battle that is going on between God and Satan. Paul says our struggle is not against people, but it's against the spiritual forces of evil. There is a cosmic battle between good and evil that is carried on in the heavenly realms. We are, for the most part, unaware of it. And Paul makes reference to that here in our text. And if that is a battle we need to be aware of as individual followers of Jesus, then it stands to reason that it's also a battle that's being carried on at the macro level, at the larger level between God and Satan. Yes, I said Satan. We're, gonna, we're actually going to talk about Satan today, about the devil. The whole message is about the devil. Isn't that exciting? I, I thought you'd be thrilled. We're going to talk about Satan today. I know we don't like to talk about him too much, but, but we're going to unmask him, I hope, today for who he really is. There, there's always been a lot of fascination with this persona, the representation of evil, books written, movies made, jokes delivered about the idea of an ultimate ruler of evil. This season on network television, there's actually a brand new TV series called Lucifer. Have you seen this? Now, I'm not suggesting that you watch it, but like you know, any Hollywood portrayal, I'm thinking it's far from accurate, probably filled with all kinds of creative license and you know, comedic and satirical content. But it speaks to this fascination with evil and with the persona of the devil that is so evident in our world today. And so this morning, the title of our message is The Uprising. And we're talking about where this all began. And over the next few weeks, we're actually going to sort of bring this, this battle between good and evil to its, its ultimate end or climax on Easter Sunday morning. But I don't want to give too much away. Uh, but, but today, you know, we're talking about the uprising. And when did this rebellion all get started? And, and you know, what, where did it all begin? We know who the players are, that God and Satan are the ones that we're talking about. But what brought all of this about What is Satan's origin? What do we really know about him and his rebellion and his agenda and his power? And one of the things I heard uh, growing up, I don't know, uh, you know, these little phrases kind of stick with me, little uh, bits of vernacular that we pick up in our society. But I heard this a lot growing up, this, this phrase, when, when somebody had to make a decision between, between two less than ideal circumstances, you know, like if you are uh, thinking about firing somebody at work, because they're not doing a great job, but then you're, you're also thinking, well, I don't really know this other person that I'm considering. And, and we, we used to use a phrase that went something like this. It's better to stick with the devil you know than to go with the devil you don't, right? Better to stick with the devil you know than to go with the devil you don't. Well, I'm just going to spin off that idea a little bit this morning, and we're going to talk about the devil you know and the devil you don't, because I think that all of us have some kind of an idea about the devil, about who he is and what he does, but that sometimes that's that's based on or can be based on either incomplete or even sometimes inaccurate information. And so we want to just help clear that up a little bit today, maybe. It reminds me of a, a story I heard one time. These two little boys were... Uh, walking home from Sunday school. And the lesson at Sunday school that day had been about the devil. And the one little boy said to his friend, he said, so like, what do you think about all this devil business anyhow? The other kid thought for a minute. He said, well, I figure it's probably something like this. You remember how Santa Claus turned out. It's either your mother or your father. (laughs) 
So you can see where some of the confusion, where some of the confusion can come in. All right, so let's first of all talk about the devil you know. The devil you know. Or more to the point, maybe the devil, the devil you think you know. As I said, you know, we all have some kind of idea, some kind of perception as to what the devil is like. We've all heard all kinds of, of rhetoric from our North American culture that informs some or all of our misconceptions about the devil. Growing up, I heard phrases like, you know, the, an idle mind is the devil's playground. Or idle hands are the devil's playthings. And then one that we've probably all used at some point or another, speak of the devil and he shall appear, right? And it's not usually a compliment when we say that. It's you know, somebody's just kind of walked in the room and we've just been talking about them, right? So we, we've all used these kind of phrases, this kind of vernacular. Then there's the TV and the film industry in Hollywood that has tried to educate us about the devil or Satan. You know, movies from the horror genre like The Exorcist or The Omen, dramas like The Devil's Advocate, comedies like Bedazzled, and new TV series, the one that I just mentioned before, all of these kind of shape what society thinks they know about the devil to the point where there is an image conjured up in our minds of of this guy with jet black hair dressed in red tights with horns and a spiky long tail and who carries a pitchfork and who laughs like this. Nice. <laughs> Just like that. Okay. That's the end of the special effects. Anybody? <laughs> Great job, Stuart. Anybody know? Uh, anybody here old enough, I should say? I'm just scanning the room. I might, uh, there might only be a couple of us. Anybody here old enough to remember the 70s? Anybody remember? No, I hear lots of no's. Hey, we're going to take you back to the 70s for a minute. There was a comedian in the 70s named Flip Wilson who used to do this signature comedy sketch based on the phrase, the devil made me do it. So let's go back to the 70s for just a minute. She came in the house, she had the box, Rep saw it. Rep said, what, another dress? So this is ridiculous. Three dresses in a week, another dress? And she tells him, I didn't want to buy this dress. <laughs> the devil made me buy this dress. <laughs> she said, I was going down the street. I was minding my own business, singing to myself. I said, what you said? <laughs> and the devil stopped following me, telling me how good I look. <laughs> Rev said, I'm not going for that. He said, because every time you do something wrong, you blame it on the devil. So you blamed it on the devil when you ran the car under the side of the church. She tells him, it was the devil. You wasn't there. How do you know? Said <laughs> he grabbed that steering wheel out of my hand. Griff said, well, why didn't you step on the brake? She tells him, because when he grabbed the steering wheel, I tried to kick him. <laughs> I can't kick him and step on the brake at the same time. Said we had a big fight. That's why I was in the back seat when y'all got the call. Griff <laughs> said, well, how the devil gets you? Rep said, well, how did the devil get you to buy the dress? She said, I was going down the street and I was singing, what you say on me every day. And I heard the devil coming up behind me with tiptoeing. And I said to myself, I'm not going to look back because I know it's the devil. <laughs> and then he sneaked up and leaned over my shoulder and said, say, mama, look at that dress in the window there. He said, it's on sale, so that's your size too. Got a lot of flowers. You know you like a lot of flowers. Why don't you treat yourself to that dress? I said, cut that out, devil. 
I ain't buying no dresses. You better leave me alone, honey. Devil said, well, won't you try it on? You can try it on. Rev will never know about you trying it on. It's free. They're not going to charge you nothing to try it on. You owe yourself a try on. I said, I'm not even trying it on, devil. I'm not even going to go in there and look at it. That's when the devil shoved me in the door. He said, the devil shoved me in the door. I said, cut that out, devil. And he pushed me over to where the dress was. And he threatened me. And made me try it on. Then he pulled a gun. And made me sign your name to a check. Rep said, how come the devil's always making you do something for yourself? When's the devil gonna do me a favor? She said, I asked him about that. He said he did already. Devil said if it wasn't for him, you wouldn't even have a job. The devil made me do it. That's good, right? The 70s were a good time. And, and we run the gamut in our society from this funny, innocuous kind of idea all the way to the dark and overt portrayals like, you know, when Katy Perry did her rendition of Dark Horse at the 2014 Grammys with Juicy J and, you know, lit up the Twitterverse because it was so dark and so demonic that even people who weren't Christians were creeped out by it and, and were offended. The, the performance was filled with all of this, this uh, demonic imagery and satanic imagery, including witchcraft and demons dancing on stage and, and everything. I don't know if you remember, Glenn Beck called it demonic glorification, and many fans expressed concern on Twitter that the, the performance had gone into millions of homes where families were watching. It was, it was reminiscent of some of the, the very overt overtones of the rock music in the 70s and the 80s where satanic themes and you know, backmasking of phrases talking about Satan worship were common. And so we have these two, two sides, two ends of the spectrum, you know? We talk about the devil as if it's something funny. And then we have this, this other dark, very demonic, uh, satanic kind of, kind of imagery that can happen on the other end. All of these sound bites and these influences tend to end up melding and merging and mixing together until we have created an idea of what we think we know to the point that the truth gets lost somewhere in translation. Here's how that begins to become evident in the present day. In a recent survey done by George Barna and his organization, uh, most, he says, most American Christians, now he, he describes or, or defines Christians as those who attend church and who give in the offering. So, you know, we, we maybe have a different definition, but, but most of those people that they talked to said this, they no longer believe that Satan exists. Another survey by Lifeway Research in 2010 shows that four out of 10 millennials believe Satan is not a real person, but just a symbol of evil. And if you've been around the church for a lot of your life, much of what you think you know about the devil has been informed by all the things that we've been talking about, along, you know, along with what you've heard from Scripture and how it was presented to you. You've likely heard a lot of rhetoric from the pulpit about the devil, but rarely heard much, if any, solid teaching on the subject. I was just thinking about this the other day, and Pastor Doug and I were talking about it on Friday. I said, you know what? I don't think I've ever preached an entire message about the devil. I don't think I've ever done that. 
And, and we were just, just talking about that. So, so we need to, to learn. You know, we, we've not heard teaching about who he is and what he does and so on. And if all you heard was that the devil is evil incarnate and the father of lies and that he is out to get you, well, then that also frames an interesting perception, but really is only a part of the story. So here's a couple of things we generally do know as Christians. 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us, <coughs> be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's like a roaring lion, it says. We know that the devil is, is on the prowl and, and that like a roaring lion, he's looking to take down his prey, that's us, or to, to devour us. So we should be careful. We should be alert. We should be on the lookout for the devil's schemes. So we know he's like a, a roaring lion. We also know generally that he is the one who tempts us to do wrong. That's where that funny kind of sketch comes from. First Thessalonians thirteen fifteen. it calls Satan the tempter. And everybody knows about, you know, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we'll talk more about that next week. We're going to talk actually about, about the garden next week a little bit more. But, but we also know that Jesus himself was tempted by the devil. Matthew 4 and verse 1 says that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And we remember the story and the different temptations and, and so on. So we know that the devil is the one who tempts us to sin and to do wrong. But we also know based on Jesus' example that we don't have to give in to temptation, but we can withstand. And one of the ways we can do that is by using the word of God, by, by using the promises of God to, to be able to stand on. So, so contrary to the theology of, you know, Flip Wilson, the devil can't make us do it. He can't make us do anything that, that we don't want to do. He can only suggest, he can only tempt, right? And we also know that when we're tempted, that's not sin. It's only sin if we, if we act on that temptation, Far too often, though, I think that Christians give the devil way too much credit. Some Christians think that every bad thing that happens to them is somehow an attack of the devil. I got the flu this morning. I'm just, I feel lousy. Man, Satan is really attacking me today. No, I think that's just a virus. You know, I, sometimes we give him way too much credit. Uh, we, we see him under every rock and behind every tree, but but you know what? Every bad thing that happens to us, every unfortunate or uncomfortable circumstance is not the devil's fault always. I'm not saying it never is, but it not always is. Charles Stanley said this about that. He said that the difficulties that we face originate from three sources. Some are actually sent to us by the Lord to test our faith. Others are the result of Satan's attacks and still others are due to our own sinful choices. I would add stupid to that word, to that phrase, our own sinful and stupid choices sometimes, right? We, we get in bad circumstances sometimes just because we make dumb decisions. So there's the devil you know, or at least you think you know, and we, we sort of you know, have this, this image, this picture that, that we understand. But let's talk for a little bit about the devil you don't know. Or at the ver very least, maybe the, the devil you may not know. I, I don't want to assume that you know, you're not, you're not devil experts here. But here's the, the devil you don't know or, or may not know. Many times we have never asked this question, you know, who is the devil? Where did he, where did he come from anyway? And is there an actual character who is a personal devil? Or is it myth and just a general sense and symbol of evil in the world like many would suggest? Well, here's what you may or, or may not realize. The devil 
was actually an angel. He was actually an angel. As a matter of fact, he was the angel in charge of the music and the worship in heaven before God created the world. So he's an angelic being from before the creation of of humanity. And his name was, was Lucifer. And like all of the other angels, he was a created being. He was a created being. That's important. So, so first of all, he was created by God, just like you and I were created by God. He's a created being. John Ortberg said that there are dozens of references to God in the scripture for every one to the figure of Satan. This reflects a sometimes forgotten theological truth that the devil is by no means God's counterpart. He is a creature, not the creator. You see, we give him too much power sometimes. We give him too much credence sometimes. But we have to remember he was created just like we were, just like we are in God's image. That's where the devil came from. Speaking of Lucifer in, in Ezekiel, God said in Ezekiel twenty-eight fourteen to 15, he said, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you until the day evil was found in you. You see, Lucifer was a part of God's kingdom and his creation, but he chose to rebel against God. He chose rebellion. So he was, he was, he's a created being, but he also rebelled against God. He chose rebellion because as a created being, he had the freedom to choose. He started to think a little too highly of himself because of his beauty, this beauty that God had given him because of his his talents and so on. He thought he could be like God. And this was what ended up being his downfall. And so the Bible tells us that God cast him out of heaven. Uh, Origen, a a theologian from, from hundreds and hundreds of years ago said this. He said, this opinion is held by most that the devil was an angel and that having become an apostate, he induced as many of the angels as possible to fall away with himself. And these up to the present time are called his angels, or we talk about them as, as demons, okay? Ezekiel 28 and 17, it says this, your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty and your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground and I exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. So Lucifer's thrown out of heaven along with a third of all of the angels that he managed to manipulate and deceive to go along with him. So, so we understand then that he's a created being He was created just like the angels are created. And by the way, maybe this helps with your theology of angels a little bit too. Angels are not just, uh, are not just robots doing God's bidding. Angels also are created beings with, with freedom of choice. And they, they choose to serve in God's kingdom and to, to look out over us and, and so on. So there's, there's this idea that we need to understand here. He's created, he rebels against God, but that wasn't quite enough for him. He also then set himself up as an enemy of God, the primary enemy of God. In Isaiah 14, 12 to 15, we read this, how you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. 
For he said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars, and I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down, God says, to the, to the depths, to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. So by trying to set himself up against God, to be like God, he effectively made himself God's enemy, the enemy of God. But not an enemy on par with God. And that's important for you to remember. He's not the same as God. He is not God's counterpart. He's actually, if you think about it, probably Michael the archangel's counterpart. That's, that's the best he can do. God created him, okay? So he's not an enemy on par with God. He's simply his adversary. So the devil and a third of the angels, they're kicked out of heaven because they rebelled against God and now they're God's enemies. But what are they up to now? And that's the the last thing I want to just talk to you about for a little bit. And that is this whole idea of the devil's domain, the devil's domain. Where does he get to operate? What is it that he can and cannot do? And how does that impact, you know, how we live as, as people in the world and, and also as, you know, as believers in Jesus Christ. So I want us to understand the ramification of all of, all of this in our world. What does the, where does the devil operate? What can he do? And it's important information. I mean, if, if there's a devil out there who's roaming around and looking to, to devour us, we better have some idea about his domain. God didn't destroy the devil. I don't know why. He didn't though. He just kicked him out of heaven and he allows him to operate in this world among human beings God's other creations, because as humans, we also have the freedom to choose what we want. And God wants us to have a choice. He doesn't, you know, we've talked about this before. God didn't make us all robots. He wanted us to choose to love him, to choose to follow him, to choose to serve him. And so that's what he wants for us. So the devil, Satan, according to Ephesians 2, is the prince or the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He is the spirit that is working in those who are, who are disobedient to the ways of God and earth. Earth is his realm. This world is where he operates. The devil and the sin that he tempts people to commit are the reasons for so much of the evil, for all of the evil that we see in the world. And those who give themselves over to the devil, those who are, are smitten under his power can become so motivated by evil and hate that, that they themselves can become evil. Satan is a real and a powerful force in the world. And so I don't want to diminish that idea. I don't want you to think you know, that, that this is not real stuff that we're talking about. It is real. We have seen it over and over again in the history of the world where it seemed that evil incarnate had been unleashed through certain events. I think of of Hitler and the Nazi regime that slaughtered over 6 million Jews in an attempt to obliterate them from the earth. Whenever I visit the Holocaust Museum at at Yad Vashem in Jerusalem and and go through those exhibits and and witness the heinous atrocities that, that were committed, I am convinced that Hitler was driven by the power of Satan himself. In 1994 in Rwanda, over 800,000 Tutsis were slaughtered in that terrible genocide. And, and uh, Romeo Dallaire, a Canadian general who was serving in Rwanda with the UN at the time, said this about what he witnessed. He said, he said, I know that there is a God. I know that there is a God because in Rwanda, I shook hands with the devil. I have seen him. I have smelled him. And I have touched him. I know that the devil exists. And therefore, I know there is a God. 
This, this evil influence in our world is real. And we continue to see evidence of the devil's power in the world today. The, the genocide that's going on in, in Syria right now and, and all of our issues with ISIS and, and so on. It's, these, are, these are satanic attacks against our world. And so we know that Satan does have power in the domain of this world and he can influence if we let him. So, so we need to know this and we need to be on our guard. But there's kind of two, two sort of... Uh, extremes we need to guard against. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, there are, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence, just to ignore that, that they exist. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. That's from, from the screw tape letters. So here's what we must remember. Satan has power, but Satan is only a created being. So whatever power he has, the, he only has because God allows him to have it. And, and his power is completely subject to, to God's power. In the New Testament, we read about the fact that, that Jesus, when he came, he cast demons out of, out of many people. They were subject to Jesus. They had to do whatever he said. In Luke 4 and 41, we, we find uh, you know, a text where, where Jesus is casting demons out. And the demons, as, as he was passing by people who were possessed, were actually crying out you know, that he was, he was the son of God. And he had to sort of quiet them down. Moreover, it says, demons came out of many people shouting, you are the son of God, but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. He wasn't ready yet to, to sort of reveal that information, but they recognized who he was. They recognized that he was God in the flesh. Not only that, but Jesus gave the disciples power also to cast out demons in his name. I don't know if you've ever encountered anything like that, uh, but I have, and I want you to know it's real. It is, it is very real. I know that many people who are from you know, other parts of the world, maybe some of the African nations and other places where witchcraft is practiced and so on, you're very aware of the, of the real power of the enemy. But it's something that we, that we maybe gloss over here in North America. We don't often see it here, and, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm, I'm kind of glad that we don't see it here as often as we, as we do, but, as many do. But this, this is also uh, you know, a little bit of an issue because if we, if we don't see it, Sometimes we, we convince ourselves that it doesn't exist. But I, I've been present. I've been uh, present when demons manifest in a person. And I remember as a, a young youth pastor with very little experience, uh, I was uh, at a youth convention in Moncton, New Brunswick, called into a back room where some other pastors were there praying for this young uh, 20-something-year-old girl. And we began to pray. And the, the sounds that came from her were not the sounds that, you know, a young lady would make. The voice was not her own. And she started, you know, spewing these terrible things from her mouth. She became, she became inhumanly strong. I, I can only explain it that way. She, she had the strength of, of four or five men. It took six of us to, to just hold her down. And, and it was just a, a very, very unsettling thing. The ordeal took probably two hours, but, but as we prayed in Jesus' name, the evil spirit finally came out of her, leaving her nearly lifeless and exhausted. And I don't tell you that to scare you today or to, to you know, brag about what happened. I tell you that because 
I tell you that because the devil only has power because God who created him allows it and because people open themselves up to it. But the devil must go, has to go in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus Christ is inside of you, you too have power over the enemy. He is a defeated foe. And if we live lives that are, that are submitted to God the Father and have Jesus living in our hearts and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, then the devil is, is powerless against us. He may tempt, he may try, he may even bring circumstances that are painful or uncomfortable, but at the sound of Jesus' name, he has no power and has to run away. I love that. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist him and he will flee. That's what you really need to know today. That's what we we need to know. We need to know that the devil's domain is limited because of the power of God that is in you. He is only a created being like we are. And so, uh, you know, he is, he's granted, he's, he, he has power. He, he does have power in this world, but because of Christ living within us, he has no power over us that we don't let him have. Okay? So how do, I, how do I let him have it? Well, you think about that. When we, when we open our minds to, to temptation, when we, when we willfully sin, those are all ways that the, that the devil begins to, to get a foothold in our lives. When we are, you know, when we're angry, the Bible says, you know, don't be, don't be angry. Or, or be angry, but don't sin because you don't want the devil to get a, a foothold in your life, okay? So he has no power that we don't let him have. First John 4 and verse 4 says, you dear children are from God and have, over, uh, are from God and have overcome them because the world, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Sorry, I, I memorized this in another version. Greater is he that is in you. <laughs> you guys know this? Greater is he that is in you than, than he that is in the world, okay? We have, we have power over the enemy because of Christ in us. And so we, we understand that Jesus in you is greater. We have victory. We have power over the enemy because of Christ. I want to I just finish with this quote today. It's from an evangelical the- theologian named Roger Olson. And I realized that, you know, there are still a lot of questions, I didn't tell you everything you need to know about the devil today. And we don't fully understand. I don't even fully understand about, about what all of this really is and means. But I, I do know this. There's a real devil. He has real power. But he is subject to the power of God. And he, and he has to flee in Jesus' name. I know all of that, okay? And we need to understand that as well. This uprising that we're talking about today is, is, is you know, the beginning of this incredible epic battle between good and evil. And we're going to talk over the next couple of weeks about, about how this battle gets fought and seesaws back and forth. And, and we're going to talk about it again on, on Good Friday and then on Easter Sunday. And, and it's, it's, going to be, it's going to be great, I promise you. You don't want to miss it, okay? But, but here's the quote, because I know there's still a lot of questions and a lot we don't understand about Satan and his power. I don't know how or why, this is what Roger Olson said, I don't know how or why Satan is real and powerful and the prince of this world. All I can say with confidence is that he is a conquered enemy of God who is still causing a great deal of chaos. Why God allows it? I don't know. That's God's business. That he will eventually take away all of Satan's power and free us from his influence lies at the heart of biblical hope. 
we know that there will come a day when Satan's power will be totally taken away and removed. And so that's what I want to leave you with today. Don't despair. God's power is stronger in you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for your power that is at work in us because of Jesus in us. Thank you that the enemy is a defeated foe and that one day his power will end. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to neither ignore Satan and his schemes, nor to give him too much credit or to have unhealthy interest in the things that that pertain to him and his kingdom. God, we ask that you would flood us with your presence, with your hope, with your victory, O oh God, that we, would, that we would be reminded and encouraged again today that, Lord, no matter what kind of influence the enemy may have or, or might have in our lives, that, God, you have set us free, that our chains have fallen off, that, God, because of Jesus Christ in us, we have freedom today, Lord, and we have power over the enemy. We know that he is a tempter, an accuser. He's a liar and the father of lies, but that also he is subject to the name and the power of Jesus. And so we pray. We pray that you give us strength today to live in victory. Lord, to withstand the advances of the enemy, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.